0: And thank you so much for tuning in. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Nutrition with Rebecca podcast. You're joined by me, your host, Rebecca, and of course, as always, my wonderful sidekick, Edith. Now today, I want to talk about something a little bit differently. For those of you who know At 21, I was 22 stone. Now at 32 years old, I have managed to maintain an 85 kilo weight loss. I've maintained that now for around about seven, eight years. And I still get a lot of messages asking me what I eat every single day that's allowed me to keep the weight off. So this episode, I want to go into why it's not about the food and the 10, 11 things that I do that have supported me losing the 13 stone and keeping it off. Rarely, if ever, is food the problem, nor is it that calories are the issue. But for many of you, all you've been taught is to focus on food, macros, points, sins. And you've been led to believe that success comes from just food and then you meticulously try and control food as a means to an end. It's not a long-term strategy because rarely is it that food is causing the weight gain. We don't just naturally eat. Like I wasn't just eating and eating and eating for the sake of eating getting to 22 stone. There was a reason why I was eating. There was a reason why my behaviours were driven towards food. There was a reason that I was binge eating. There was a reason that I was overeating. There was a reason I was emotionally eating. It wasn't because of the food. And changing the food changes one thing. Food. It doesn't change your behaviours, your mindset, your awareness or your intentions. And now with the messages I get about How I've maintained that 85 kilo weight loss. My food choices are diverse, they're varied, they're nourishing, they're based on my values with awareness and behaviors that support me. I eat donuts, I eat burgers, but I eat salads, I eat vegetables, I eat protein, and I eat food that makes me feel good, both mentally and physically but I'm not focusing on the food. I haven't got an overarching focus directly driven to food. Sometimes I do overeat, I'm human. Sometimes I get it wrong, again, I'm human. But with awareness and understanding, with more compassion, you're able to keep going each and every day. So here is the things that I do that have supported me Losing 85 kilo weight loss, right? Maintaining that for now the seven, eight years. And these behaviours are things I still do now. So when you've gone into a diet and you've just focused on food and you've just focused on exercise and you've done it for the amount of time it took you to lose that weight and then you stopped eating that way, you stopped moving that way, you regain the weight. Because the way in which you approach your diet and the behaviours, the mindset, the intentions that you have are going to be the make or break of the sustainability of your results. If your diet is wildly restrictive, if your exercise is too committed with your lifestyle and you've got heightened food preoccupation, heightened food focus and you cannot go to the gym seven times a week, like realistically who can? So then when you finish your diet, novelty of food is so high, maybe you go gone holiday and you overeat at the buffet and you haven't got the capacity to exercise seven times a week because you're human and that's life, then you fall back into old patterns. It's called the path of least resistance. It's your subconscious behaviours, your subconscious actions. And when you consider how long you have spent in diet industry in like the fitness industry i call it diet culture and then realize actually not many people know what diet culture is in the fitness industry right where you've been exposed to this sort of narrative for some of you that's 40 years for a lot of you you've been told from a toddler that food is good and bad that it's naughty that it's a treat so you've got to unlearn all of these limiting beliefs and that doesn't come from a six week diet plan That comes from changing your mindset, changing your intentions and your awareness. So, as I mentioned, I was 22 stone. I was very unhealthy, very unhappy. I was not happy at all. I was very unhealthy, very unhappy. I had no fitness levels. I was binge eating. I was emotional eating. I had no emotional regulation and my body image was rock bottom. I was the people pleaser and I did everything for everybody else as a way of validating myself. I made fat jokes about myself. I would invite them. So if I went out socially, I would actively talk about my size, talk about how much food I ate. And my nickname was Biffa from people around me. You know, the waste bins. My nickname was Biffa because I troughed everything. I was the 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 girl who got rid of all the waste, but I invited that bullying to an extent. Um, and then I started to lose weight. I don't know the pillar that caused it. I like I I don't know the the day like the transformation day should we say if I, I'll need to lose some weight. I do recall going to Magaluf and not being able to get the seat on the aeroplane, at twenty one years old with friends who. It were, were in should we say societally accepted bodies they were they were slim they were so I couldn't get the seatbelt on the airplane at 21 years old it was traumatic but then I went on holiday of course I did and came home and it still wasn't then it was I think it was a few months after anyway I started to lose weight and I'll never forget the first time of course all I knew was like back then it was Weight Watchers right that was massive Weight Watchers was huge and all I knew was food and exercise okay so I went on my first spinning session I thought do you know what I'll go spinning because it's a dark room and I sat right at the back and I remember I went hell for leather because I got all of these endorphins and I felt great but I had no awareness then right remember this guys I was only very young The next morning, I genuinely woke up and an ambulance had to come to me. I had pulled every single muscle in my body. I rang a friend, I couldn't get out of bed. And then they got an ambulance and I was taken to Grantham and I was given some morphine to try and help me because I genuinely couldn't move. It was horrific, let me tell you that. But then I fell into all the dieting methods Weight Watchers, Slimming World, you know, I would used to go and get weighed on a Monday and then I'd swing by Sainsbury's afterwards. Whether that was a, a loss or a gain, I would always go to Sainsbury's afterwards, always. I'd starve all day, starve myself all day. Um, And I went to Sainsbury's because I knew that they sold the biggest pack of chocolate raisins and I loved chocolate raisins. So I'd go to Sainsbury's and then I'd binge eat afterwards. My binge eating came, I think it started probably when I was about 13 from some family trauma that happened and I just pushed it away, pushed all my emotions away with dieting. I lost too much weight through dieting. So I dieted for many years and my smallest, I can't recall if it was 53 or 54 kilos and... If you see me now on social media, I sit probably eight kilos heavier than that. Seven, eight kilos. And when I got to 53 kilos, there was a massive amount of restriction. There was no connection. I was petrified of going out socially. I was preoccupied with food. I was still binge eating. I was just controlling it. I was controlling it with perfection. So I was controlling it by over-exercising eating maybe 800 calories a day in the week and then i'll never forget one time i drove from my dad's to the local cinema because it was quite late at night and i spent 24 pound on pick and mix and ate it in i think my dad lives probably in about 6 miles away from the cinema and ate it on the car journey back and then had a tub of ben and jerry's when i got home and then i woke up the next morning stepped on the scales And then went for a faster 13 mile run. My restriction was horrific. Absolutely horrific. My body image was still rock bottom. It was awful. All of my actions were externally driven. Do you know what I said about... 22 stone, and I was doing things for validation. I did it still at 53 kilos as well. I wanted everybody to like me. I wanted everybody to comment on me, and I wanted everybody to say how good I looked. Everything I did was for aesthetics. I had no care at all, or understanding for that matter, actually, on actual health, you know, like bone mineral density, osteoporosis, muscle mass. I had hypothalamic amenorrhea for around about three years which basically means a loss of menstrual cycle so whilst I was going to the gym and I was trying to build muscle mass I was not building muscle mass because my body was in this chronic state of stress so I was equally unhealthy at 53 kilos as I was at 22 stone so whilst I lost the weight and obviously I lost more than I've lost now um it was damaging it was damaging so I had to uncover my emotional distress I had to uncover my unmet needs I had to work through my internalized misogyny I had to work through the self-objectification and my body image and that took some time as well but working through that has allowed me to maintain a healthy weight if I'd have continued with a trajectory that got me to 53 kilos I would not have been able to sustain that. I would have spiralled and it would have had further impacts on my mental and physical health and I don't know where I would be now. So there are things that I have done and things that I've put in place that I still do now that I want to go through with you guys because I'm sure listening to this you can resonate with some or a lot of that and I know a lot of people feel helpless in terms of sustainability of their weight and that's why I coach... Because I saw a massive market, well, a massive space in the market that, okay, people talk about fat loss, people talk about food, people talk about uh, relationships with food, but nobody's talking about like losing weight, improving your relationship with food and keeping the weight off. Nobody's talking about improving your body image, improving how you feel in yourself, achieving your goals and keeping the weight off nobody's talking about that and for a lot of you all you have been taught is that food so I'm going to hear I'm here to not only give you the things that I do but to help reassure you that actually you can lose weight and you can keep it off but your focus needs to change just like my focus had to change as well because shockingly I am human so number one I exercise for my health now you know for the functionality of my body appreciation for what it does how it supports my mental and physical health once it used to be solely for aesthetics I wanted to move for my body shape my body size and that came with excessive exercise met with an eating disorder I wanted to look as small as possible I used to go cycling for 40 miles a day fasted And then try and resistance train. I was suffering with loss of bone mineral density, risk of osteoporosis, loss of muscle mass and effects to my metabolic health. Know now the damages that that had and how important health is. I train for my health. I train to maintain and build muscle mass. I train for my metabolic health. I train for longevity of my life to have a life where, you know, I reduce risk of pain, I reduce injury. I was injured all the time, all the time when I was training for solely my aesthetics. And now I appreciate my body. I'm grateful that she can walk. I'm grateful that she can move. I'm accepting of her, therefore I'm treating her with exercise that benefits her. Our bodies love to move. They want to move. But you've got to meet that at a place that is manageable and healthy. Uh, Number two, I found joy in things outside of food. Food was both my comfort and my fear. But deep down, it was the only thing in life that I had that brought me happiness. Now I have a page of things I enjoy. Reading, getting out in nature is something I do every single day. I read every single day I bake I connect with those around me and this allowed me then to take more rest I used to feel really guilty for taking rest my worth was linked externally remember the validation and then I had this association with exercise and nutrition and if I exercised I could eat more and it became a vicious cycle And it trapped me in dichotomous thinking, but prevented me from living my life. So now I connect back to myself. And when I connect back to myself, that brings me joy. And I can acknowledge rest and the importance of rest. And then I find things outside of food and exercise. Like being able to go out socially. Being able to connect with your friends and your family. Being able to do things like baking and not spiral with the bake. That doesn't come from focusing on food. Number three, I got clear on my values. And what I want out of life. How I want to show up. Allowing me to better understand myself. Break out of the pressure of that self-objectification and body image that I was stuck in. But do you know what? I had no idea what a value was. Absolutely none. And if someone asked me what I valued, do you know what I'd say? I valued my body, my shape, other people's opinions, validation. Yeah, it's shallow, I know, but it's honest. That's That's what I valued. It's not a value, fully enough. And our values are where we live with direction and purpose. Like a guiding compass for yourself. Outside of perceptions and societal pressures, whatever is going on in your life, your values show you a path forward and it helps you make better choices. And your values are also linked to yourself, as opposed to like this third person's perspective. And values, you know, they inform your thoughts, your actions, and your beliefs. They help you be authentic and conduct yourself properly in a variety of settings. And they differ from short-term or long-term goals because they're not specific to a single situation. Fat loss isn't a value, but it can be a goal to support a value. Relationship with food, the same. And like you don't have to value your health either at all. Like, okay, so let's go into it. Couple of mine, connection, personal growth, right? I don't value health. Health is very important to me, but health encompasses that as a goal to help me connect. So, if I have a really poor relationship with food, as an example, or if I'm chasing fat loss with a really restricted approach, and one of my core values is connection, if my relationship with food causes me to be body shaming, body bashing, preoccupation with food, food focused, I'm not connected back to myself initially, but then if I'm out with other people, I'm not present in the moment, I'm food focused. And then I'm losing the control, which is then causing me not to live my authentic self in alignment with my values. If you're following a really restricted approach and you're not going out socially or you're restricting your food intake by by like excluding food groups, you're not connecting back to yourself. You're not providing your body what it needs. Therefore, you're not meeting that value. So again, why food is not the problem. But maybe you're not living your authentic self because maybe you've lost your identity to self-objectification, to body image struggles, two years of yo-yo dieting. Now you have absolutely no idea what your values are, completely normal. A lot of my clients come at me with that. And actually when you start to work through your values, you start to look at your goals and you start to look at how you're behaving. And then things become a little bit more peaceful and then you become more consistent. Number four, I built (laughs) self-compassion. Self-compassion. Oh, Kristen Neff. I absolutely love her. Christ, if somebody said to me, you need to start being kinder to yourself, I'd have been like, no. Absolutely, categorically not. But you know what? Being kind to yourself is revolutionary. I'm more mindful. It's allowed me to continue with each step on my journey. And you know what? Breaking away from the guilt and the shame pattern I was in. Breaking away from perfection. Because perfection feeds shame. It feeds guilt. It gives you an excuse. If you can't do it perfectly, you don't do it all. That's what I used to do all the time. Oh, I'm giving up, giving up, giving up. Restarting, restarting, getting back on it, getting back on track. Meh, no. Whereas self-compassion and imperfection, they take away that excuse and they take away the blame and they allow you, even in the really challenging times and the days where things get really, really tough, to keep going you know, they build more resilience and you're much nicer to yourself on the days where you do fail because you recognise that failing is part of life. This also allowed me to set boundaries with those around me who I needed to because I was kinder to myself. So like my dad, he still does it now. He calls me tubs. Um, one of my uncles calls me Beef and... Uh, Having to set boundaries is really tough because you need to do it with those around you. Usually those are closest to you or people engaging in conversations with you about food. And I've had to make space now to create those boundaries to acknowledge that they're not right for me. Sometimes I take myself out of the situation. Sometimes I'm active in expressing that that, that is now a boundary and I don't want to talk about it. And then other times I'm able to be kinder to myself and hear these people's words and acknowledge that actually that's, that's nothing I can control and I don't need to take that on. It's not fact that I'm tubs or fact that I look like beef. Number five, I worked on emotional understanding and regulation. Food was my suppression, which then moved to exercise. And I had to work through understanding emotions and how to express my feelings and thoughts in a more beneficial way. I didn't control the food or my emotions. I built understanding and awareness through the next one, which is mindfulness. But now I have a um, now I have a tool belt of tools that support me when I am dysregulated. Christ alive! I still have. A desire to want to eat times right recently i've just come back from the gynecologist and i've been suffering with night sweats for like nine months i'm really sleep deprived i'm absolutely shot in terms of sleep i'm so emotional and i felt really i felt a drive to want to go and eat but i know now why i know how i'm feeling so i've labeled those feelings and i've actively taken steps to more beneficial ways of supporting that emotional regulation not eating. I wasn't pushing them away. said, so you make space for them. You're not trying to rid emotions. Emotions are not good nor bad. They're neutral. But you've got to be able to make space for these stories, make space for these thoughts and these feelings. But then knowing your values and working on tools that support emotional regulation, you'd then be able to drive your actions in a more beneficial way that is supportive of you long term. And then, as I mentioned, I built understanding and awareness through number six, mindfulness. Mindfulness practice is the one thing that creates a pause that brings the space between response and reaction. The most powerful one is meditation. It's not just in eating in day-to-day life. So you can't just say like, oh well, when you want to when you've got a trigger, when you're thinking about binge eating or emotional eating, just put a pause in. Anybody who knows that knows it's impossible to do so because your clarity is low, your decision making is impaired, you have absolutely no awareness, your mind body is disconnected, right? But mindfulness, it helps you create that pause. So you know, before you send that text, before you make that comment, before you reach for the food, it's the one thing that brings you out of autopilot and into cognitive function. But you can't just rely on it, you have to do it as a daily practice. So as an example, I meditate every day still now. And I journal every day now. I incorporate mindful eating still now into my day. Mindfulness in general can be hard to curate. It's challenging, you know. Fear of sitting with your thoughts, feelings of boredom, fear of the unknown, trying something new that's completely normal. And many, like I was, are resistant to begin with. But you've got to be able to create the space to be more aware, to slow the thoughts just a little to a place where actions are intentionally led based on a response rather than an instant reaction. Again, people try and control the food. If you're overeating, just remove the food. That creates the absence violation effect. That triggers heightened novelty of food. You are going to overeat it. Instead, it's looking at what you can do. Mindfulness will save you. And mindful eating, checking in with your emotions, how are you feeling, where can you feel that, is that fact or fiction, like acknowledging your surroundings, who you are with, where you are, taking some deep breaths with your choices, slowing your pace of eating down, and I I said to my client on a check-in this week that, like, I really, really value now slowing my pace of eating down. When I first started to work through that, it was petrifying for me because for years I've just troughed food. like ate it really, really fast, especially with binge eating because I didn't want to register what I was doing. But now, slowing my pace of eating down, I get to thoroughly enjoy it and immerse myself in that meal and it's bloody wonderful. And then honouring the taste, the texture, the smells comes with slowing your pace of eating down, right? Acknowledging satiety and fullness in a way that is conductive to your goals. So if you're in a fat loss phase, you can't reach full fullness, obviously. And then reflecting, how do you feel after eating? Like It's a massive aspect and it doesn't have to take you 15 hours. It's literally just a quick run through mentally. And again, that's something I still do now. And of course, when you're super busy, there will be times you cannot do all of these, but you can at least do number three. You can take a breath. And you know, that might sound like a chore at the minute, but it goes from being something that is a chore to something that's actually really cool and really beneficial for you number seven i worked on food neutrality and unconditional permission to eat removing food labels and incorporating a wide variety of food into my diet with no good or bad foods and you know what i actually enjoy eating again now all the food and unconditional permission to eat is not eat whatever you want it's honoring your health with choices that support you both physically and and mentally, with awareness, without judgment. And the language we use around food really does matter. Getting to a place of food neutrality requires conscious effort. Understanding that there are no good or bad foods, that all food is neutral. The healthy or unhealthy depends on context, situation and individual choice. Sure, there are foods that are more neutrally complete than others. But the hierarchy that comes to the labelling of foods heightens the novelty, the scarcity, and it creates a dichotomy and triggers the abstinence violation effect. For an example, if you've allowed yourself a slice of cake, but you believe cake is bad, the mind violation of eating a small portion of cake triggers the brain to go, might as well eat it all. Because of the associated language of this being quote unquote bad, abstinence violation leads to extreme behaviours during a lapse. That was me every single time. Thinking reactively and emotionally, not cognitively. Unconditional permission to eat meets food neutrality in which you eat with presence and without judgment, with awareness, cognitively. And instead of it being, I'm eating this because it's good. I'm eating this because it's 100 calories. It's how is this nourishing my body? How is this gifting my body? And do you know what? It could also be nourishing for you to eat past fullness at times because that aligns to your values of, say, connection. I recently went to Orlando's. I'm sure you all saw if you follow me on social media. And regularly I ate past fullness. Because the food was delicious. And it was part of my values. And I was fully connected and present in the moment. At no one point did I feel guilt around the food. Because I worked through food neutrality. And I understood that actually that was helping me in that moment. And I was feeling great. I ate a diverse amount of food when I was in America. And I still do now. And I'll touch on that in a second as as number 10. But my choices are driven to, to my health. So I drive now. How do I want to feel? How do I want to feel in this moment? So sometimes that might look like going to the local brewery and having a pizza with my family. And my choice then is driven by eating the pizza and not having the salad because... That's part of that moment, that's part of connection with my family but then a day-to-day at work, that might look like eating some porridge for breakfast with protein in it and eating a nice big omelette and a salad for lunch because I want to feel my best to be able to perform my best, you know? It's being able to adapt to the situation and knowing your values and working through food neutrality and unconditional permission to eat allows you to be you and make choices for you outside of society pressures and perception of what you believe you should be doing. Number eight, I work through body image positivity. I built gratitude for my body and all that she does for me. I don't love my body. I think that's really unrealistic, but I appreciate her. I know she changes day to day, but that doesn't consume me anymore. I know she's going to bloat at times in the month. I know that there's going to be times when she's holding a little bit more water. There's going to be times when, you know, she can't quite do everything that my, maybe my mind wants me to do. But she's still breathing for me. She's still allowing me to touch. She's still allowing me to to feel. She's supporting me. And the functionality of her. I accept her. I thank her. I don't love my stretch marks. My excess skin. But I work with it. I dress for comfort. And I know now that that's part of me. Number nine. I bit of awareness of how multifaceted health is. You know, like I said, I thought health was nutrition and exercise and I used them against one another. How it's so much more than just what you eat and how much you move. And that irrespective of a goal, this is a constant journey. A constant journey of showing up imperfectly. But health is a priority for me. And it should be because it allows me to live my life. And, you know, if you're interested, the multifaceted puzzle of health looks like emotional, environmental, financial, intellectual, physical, social, and spiritual well-being. Shockingly, not food and exercise. Um, number 10. I eat nutrient-dense foods the majority of the time. Some weeks, that looks like 80-20. Some weeks, that's 90-10. Some weeks, that's 50-50. I eat for my health, the appreciation of my body. Some days, that's lots of veggies. The other days, that's a burger and a donut. Either way, my choices are true to me On are always made with intent on how I want to feel. I no longer feel the need to validate what I'm eating or explain my food choices, which I used to do. And I still get questions now. How can you eat all of that and still be that small? I still get those all the time now but I no longer feel like I need to validate because I'm fully aware of why I am making choices. I'm fully aware that these are a response and I'm understanding of my body's needs and it's all intentionally driven. I do follow a plant-based diet um I'm mainly vegetarian somewhat pescatarian like I might have uh, I do have oily fish like I do because full of polyunsaturated fats and it is delicious but the majority of my diet is now plant-based and I love it and so that's 10 but I'm gonna give you one more I'm gonna give you one more 11 bonus 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 I got support you know Having people around you is the most invaluable part of a journey because working through behavior change, working through mindsets, like implementing these things, it does get tough at times. And that's where a coach is so beneficial because they're always there. They're there to reassure you, they're there to guide you, they're there to support you, they're there to help you learn. And you learn so much about yourself, you find your identity you understand your values. It depletes your ego at times, let me tell you that. But it is the most transformative, valuable part of any change. I tried to do it alone for so long. I couldn't. That's why I educated myself and throughout my journey and still now I have a coach. Because I believe in coaching. Coaching changes lives and I can change your life. The Thrive With Life method, it isn't just based on my journey. It's based on the evidence. It's based on research. It's based on science. It's based on client success. And it's there to support you achieving your goals and completely thriving with your life. So if you're interested or if you have any questions at all, I will link my details below in the show notes. And thank you so much for tuning in.